Good evening, my name is Simon Barrett and this is another edition of Journey into Justice, a chance to uh, look at what's going on in our justice system. Um, sometimes we talk about old cases, sometimes we talk about new cases, but always we talk about interesting cases. As always, I'm joined by my very good friend, author and uh, attorney, Mark Bellow. Mark, welcome to the program. Simon, nice to be with you after all this time. We had a we had a technical uh, problem on one day. We had a Jewish holiday last week that that, that prevented me from attending. But I'm glad to be with you. Uh, what is it now? It's been three weeks. I missed you. Man. Well, yeah, I, I I guess we missed too. Um, <laughs> although I, I pulled a bit of a fast one last week and uh, just replayed. Uh, um, uh, an old tape. Okay. Was I was I okay. dashing and uh, and brilliant as always, or or, or what? <laughs> am I am I better as a repeat? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, you, you went down just as well the second time. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. All right. There's a couple of items that we, we didn't quite finish up talking about. I, I don't think I don't think it needs uh, to be belabored. But uh, the Felicity Felicity Huffman uh, her deal with you know trying to get her kid into school. Um, right. She she got uh, her sentence to a whopping, and I do mean whopping, 14 days behind bars. You know, um, frankly, I have heard two uh, reactions. One, it was outrageous, and th this is just proof of white privilege and and the second is all she was doing was trying to help her daughter and I mean all she spent was $16,000 what's the big deal so what's the big deal well I don't agree with either of those arguments um I, I don't think that it's no big deal. Um, if you cheat the system, you need to pay the price for cheating the system. Uh, you know, she 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 made a comment. Uh, for, by the way, to back up, when we when we last spoke, she hadn't been sentenced yet. So one of the reasons why we should revisit this issue is because we discussed her conduct, but we didn't discuss her sentence. And I, I think the sentence, uh, actually, if you look at uh, a first-time offender who's never done anything wrong before and is paying a $100,000 fine, I actually think the sentence um, 
for jail time for a person like that was actually the, a case of her celebrity costing her rather than helping her. I don't. I think the judge couldn't not sentence her to jail time simply because it would look like he was being favorite. He was showing favoritism to a celebrity. Uh, I don't think she would have gotten uh, any time at all as a private citizen. That's my own opinion. Um, right. I finding her a hundred thousand dollars. Even though she's somebody that can afford it, I think that was the number, a hundred grand, um, and the public humiliation that she suffered, I think was plenty of penalty without the jail time. So in this instance, I think her jail time happened because she was a celebrity. Now, before we went on air, we were talking about the other gentleman who got sentenced to, I think, four to five months. And I think his behavior was much more egregious than hers. Uh, so uh, I think that was a just penalty as well. The issue, as we discussed it the last time we spoke, was in uh, minority and people of color uh, sentencing criteria for, let's call them victimless crime, Um and the insanely large difference between somebody uh, getting sentenced for, let's say, selling marijuana on a, on a corner or selling cocaine on a street corner uh, and getting, you know, a 30-year sentence. Um, uh, some of that is, is now in the limelight, and we may see some changes. But when you compare uh, the two situations... Um, uh, people of color uh, will typically get screwed, especially people of color who have no money. Uh, whether you're represented by a public defender, uh, some of whom do a fine job but with limited resources, um, or whether you're represented by a uh, hotshot lawyer, uh, you tend to have the book thrown at you uh, a lot uh, more seriously and frequently uh, if you're a minority. Okay, so I've got to ask this question. What if Huffman was black? Would the sentence have been the same 14 days? I would say yes. I would say that in, in her case... Um, as, as OJ proved, wealthy, wealthy and, and black is not <laughs> equivalent to poverty and black. So I would think that if it was, uh, I don't want to, I, I don't want to put somebody in her category by name, but a well-known uh, black actress uh, would have probably uh, been given uh, the same sentence, or perhaps less. Uh, for a judge trying to be politically correct. And I, I think that's what this is about. I think this was about political correctness. And, I'm, and I, for one, am getting a bit tired of political correctness. The only one who doesn't have to be politically correct is the President of the United States. Yes, I've noticed that. Okay, 
I, I, I think I think we're done with um, <coughs> that subject. <coughs> uh, let's talk about vaping. Before, before you do uh, that, before you do vaping, that, I'm uh, just guessing. Well, before before you um, before we vape, uh, I want to make one more point about the Huffman situation. I, I kind of alluded right. to the fact that it was a victimless crime. Uh, and I, I was, I was referring to uh, selling marijuana, not to um, paying to get your kid into college. That is a that is that is a crime that has a victim, and the victim is the person who didn't get into college because this person who didn't deserve to get in got in instead. So I think that that has that plays into uh, jail time and cheating the system as well. Oh, and uh, I uh, quite agree with you. Um, let's talk vaping. Um, I, I believe that uh, eight people so far have died from vaping and some other uh, 450-ish have ended up in uh, hospital. Uh, right. Trump and his Republican cheerleaders in the Senate, particularly, are hot under the collar, and they want to ban e-cigarettes. Eight dead? Wow. More people die on a Friday night in uh, Chicago from uh, <laughs> random gunfire. I'm or, or anywhere else. Right. <laughs> but the, the cheerleaders don't don't want to talk about that. Why not? Well, I, I, I recently wrote an article in the in the Legal Examiner about that very same issue, and um, I I don't want to minimize uh, the, the the dangers of vaping. I think vaping. Uh, should be looked at, should be regulated. Uh, certainly, um, in Michigan, as I as I indicated that when we last spoke, uh, the governor was the first to ban flavored vaping uh, in the country, and and flavored vaping is uh, basically sold to kids. And I I, I certainly agree that. Uh, companies that target children to begin a habit that is addictive and dangerous uh, should be a activity that is, quote, banned, unquote, or penalized. Uh, so I don't have any problem with the concept of regulating, banning, restricting, uh, penalizing um uh, allowing people to sue for large amounts of money, uh, vaping. Um, the the contrast I was making, and I made in the ad, in the article I wrote, is thirty thousand kids a year get killed by random gunfire, whether it's accidental or deliberate, and nobody's looking to ban guns. So if you're going to call something a crisis when fourteen people die. What do you call something that causes 30,000 people to die? And that's what 
is kind of driving me nuts. You mentioned cigarettes. I agree with you. I, cigarettes uh, are, are dangerous instruments of addiction, and they kill people. They cause cancer. But at least they've been regulated. There are warnings on them. They're not um, targeted for sale to children uh, as vapes are, as vaping uh, uh uh, deliver, what do they call those things? Uh, is, it, is the apparatus a vape also? When you make them candy flavored, <laughs> you're targeting them for children, and, that's, and I have a problem with that. Uh, um, and I, again, I, I compared it to cigarettes and then, and then said nice things about the fact that we've regulated cigarettes, but that's that in no that in no way means we've done enough. Um, the regulation of cigarettes is is in my mind way too lenient. Uh, the sale of alcohol to uh, uh, people underage, um, uh, certain drugs that that a person can buy over the counter. Uh, and or by prescription rather easily. Also, all sorts of products that are dangerous that, that shouldn't be uh, in the hands of kids. Um, but the number one issue with almost no regulation, other than you can't, quote, sell them, unquote, to kids, is guns, and nobody does a thing about it. And that, it, that just drives me nuts. <laughs> we, we, we have a crisis. We have a crisis in the vaping industry. Let's ban vaping. Let's close all these vapors down. But not guns. Thirty thousand to fourteen. Right. I, I, I just don't get it. The um, you'll get me all um, uh, hot and uh, and grumpy. Um. I, I come from uh, England, as you've probably guessed by my uh, accent. I thought that was I, a Mississippi I, I, accent. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, uh, gun deaths per year, uh, you can count them on the uh, fingers of a couple of hands. And mostly they're uh, for stupid reasons. Um, here in the uh, U.S., um, oh, you, you'd need thousands of hands to uh, count them. And, um, you know, I, I have no objection to people having guns. I, I have objection to uh, people using guns to shoot other people. And, you know, the, the government just doesn't seem to want or doesn't seem to have the will to uh, do anything about it, which I think is a, a terrible shame. I mean... 
I, I don't believe the NRA have that much money that they can but they buy do. off. They, but they, <laughs> they, apparently, they, have, they apparently have that kind of power. I, I don't get it. Uh, um, you know, I, I wrote another article this, this morning. Uh, I don't know that my people have posted it yet, but um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Citizens United opinion um, as a non-lawyer, but the Citizens United opinion is a huge um, Supreme Court opinion that essentially calls spending money in political campaigns a um, First Amendment right. And they and they basically right. um, determined uh, incorrectly, I believe, um, that that spending money uh, has first amendment implications, and you can spend as much as you want on a political campaign. And I, I think the issue um, for any politician is who are they taking money from and is their legislation consistent with the people they take money from? And I would encourage my my fellow citizens that if a candidate takes money from a corporate entity and then starts legislating against the citizenry and for the corporate interest that that person ought to be removed from office one way or the other. The uh, the, the case you you're citing um, that that uh, if I re- remember correctly that that introduced the uh, the the pack and super pack. Uh, am I correct? correct? Yes. Right. <laughs> What a ridiculous idea! If well, it's pretty. It's in, pretty funny if individuals are, are limited in uh, how much money they can donate, how come a uh, a super PAC, uh, while not um, donating directly, uh, can buy millions of dollars worth of uh, Ads and you know uh, and other stuff. I mean, this this makes a a complete nonsense of, of the entire electoral process. I Sorry, can't. I, 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 was, I can't. I can't. I can't offer you an explanation. I, you're exactly right. The the um the the it's not ha ha funny, but the. Anomaly of Citizens United is uh, Citizens United is the pack, and it's a it's a huge pack uh, of corporate donors, not citizens. So to call it Citizens United, and everybody refers to it with the with the name of the case, and uses the word citizens, and it makes a mockery of citizens. Because it has nothing to do with citizens, it has to do with corporate interests. And if you're trying to regulate pollution, and you're taking money from polluters, you're not going to regulate pollution. If you're trying to reg- regulate vaping, 
and you're taking money from the vape manufacturers, you're not going to regulate vaping. If you're taking money from a corporate interest, insurance companies. We're going to talk tonight, I hope, about the no-fault law here in Michigan. And if you're taking money from insurance companies, you're not going to be in favor of of citizens collecting benefits uh, in the no-fault law. And an extreme travesty was done here in Michigan that screwed every citizen in Michigan, and they don't even know it. They think that their premiums got lowered. And that's all they care about. We, oh, oh, what a great thing. We're going to pay lower premiums. Yeah, but you're getting no benefits. It's like State Farm calling calling a storm a flood. It's the same crap over and over and over again. Okay. I'm... I, let, let's jump straight to that uh, subject. I, I'm not really uh, uh, up on th- this, uh, up on exactly what happened. Um, well, what, what is, what, what has happened? What, what, what is this uh, no fault insurance, and um, what, what effect is it going to have? Well, Michigan, uh, to its credit, since 1973, has been the only state in the country that has a no-fault insurance system. And the system is essentially one that says, if you've been involved in an auto accident, that is your fault and you're catastrophically hurt or seriously hurt, you can still collect medical benefits from your own insurance company. If you're the party that was not at fault, then you can also collect money from the person who hits you and medical benefits from your own company. You don't collect medical benefits from the at-fault party. You collect them regardless of fault. So in other words... Anybody who's hurt seriously gets all the medical care they need from their own auto insurance company. Now compare that so that I so that you understand what I'm saying. Compare that to the system that Michigan used to have and uh that as a, a state like Mississippi where you are um has. You get involved in an accident. If you're the at-fault driver, you get nothing. So if you're catastrophically hurt, you become essentially, let's say you're, you're rendered a paraplegic or brain damaged. You essentially lose everything you have by having your medical uh, bills exceed uh, the amount of money you have in the bank and then you go on Medicaid and the taxpayer pays for it. Um, if you're the if you're the non-at-fault driver, if you're the victim, you get paid by the guy that hits you, but you're limited to the amount of insurance he has. So your compensation is dependent upon the income level of the person who causes the accident. Let's say that person has $20,000 of insurance 
and a job, but no money in the bank. How much are you going to collect from that guy? <laughs> no, much. You, you don't have to answer that question. The answer is twenty grand. Okay. Right. So there you are, in the same boat as the guy I just mentioned, who is the non-asphalt guy. You're going to collect twenty grand. Then you're going to go through all your stuff. Then you're going to go on Medicaid. So, contrary to the uh, the myth where people are so happy and getting millions of dollars for minor injuries, what's really happening out there is that most states and most insurance policies pay limited damages for serious injuries. It's completely the other way around. People are getting 20, 30, 50 grand uh, after being rendered brain damaged or um, paralyzed. Now, from 1973 till 2019, the law in Michigan was that if you're catastrophically hurt in an accident because of Michigan's no fault system, you're going to get paid 100% of your medical bills for life. And that cost approximately an extra, listen to this, Diamond, roughly $220 a month. Right. So my insurance, my insurance costs $220 a month more than yours. Is that worth it? Of course it is. So last summer, on Mackinac Island in Michigan, a bunch of politicians got together with big smiles on their faces and passed a law that eliminates the mandatory insurance portion of the Michigan no-fault law. You no longer have to buy no-fault medical coverage. You no longer get unlimited coverage. You have to buy it. Nobody's telling us how much that's going to cost, um, but you have to buy it. And in exchange, you might pay, might, because it's only an eight-year guarantee, you might pay a little less. So what do we, and by the way, all of that was done without any public debate. They shoved it down our throats. They did it behind the public's back in the dark, and I don't need to tell you as somebody who is familiar with politics that when politicians do something behind the public's back, it's not typically good for the public. Right. So what you, not, what no. you now have, what you now have is about 20,000 people a year. Well, I, I, I'm, it's not 20,000 a year. It's, it's 20,000 in the aggregate. Um, with about 600 added to the rolls per year, people who are who have been involved in catastrophic accidents and are either brain damaged or paralyzed and need lifetime care. Now, who now who was at this this bill signing? The Democratic may, uh, uh, mayor of Detroit and the Democratic governor of Michigan who the trial lawyers help elect. 
and they did this behind our backs. We had the best auto accident law in the country, the only state in the country that had it. It even it even set aside money so that seriously injured people could go to a fund and collect catastrophic injury benefits for the rest of their lives. So what do you think? you think that the governor and the legislature now believe that, you know, quadriplegia has been solved, that they don't need lifetime care? Somebody who's brain damaged doesn't need, doesn't need lifetime care anymore? What's, what caused what caused the need for this? You're clobbered by a drunk driver. You're paralyzed from the neck down. Under the previous law, you got full-time care, and your insurance never maxed out. Under the new law, max out your coverage, then your savings, then everything you have, and then go on Medicaid, and you and I, the taxpayers, pay for this person. Okay, let, let every me one ask of these, you Every a one question. of these people should be voted out of office. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Um, how many lobbyists were involved? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you this. Um, the insurance lobby was involved. Ah, and the there you go. Lobby, and, the insur- and the insurance lobby is the most powerful lobby in the world. So again, if you if you're looking at at the Citizens United opinion and the uh, Koch brothers of the world uh, regulating pollution, this is the same thing. This is the box guarding the henhouse. Hmm. The, the oh other thing that isn't my. even mentioned. The other thing. The other thing that that's completely forgotten here is. Facilities, providers of this specialized care for paraplegics, quadriplegics, brain damaged people, who got the best, best, best of care, will now go on Medicaid and go where? To a state-run nursing home that doesn't provide any care other than geriatric care for, for people who are dying. So all of these right. clinics that provide this marvelous care with terrific people running them and, and providing this care will go out of business because there's nowhere to pay them. There won't be any benefits available to people. Right. Um, it's just an awful, it's an awful, awful thing that these people did, that, that the elected officials of the citizens of Michigan did to them, uh, $220 per Michigan car to provide a, um, I said, I said, I said a month, it's a year. I take it back. I'm reading a little article that I, that I, uh, I'm using for talking points here. $220 per Michigan car to provide the unlimited care level of the 73 no fault law. So they don't want you to waste 220 a car on this lousy insurance that protects you for life. They'd rather you keep the 220 a year, get catastrophically injured by somebody, 
and have your medical needs go to Medicaid. Thank you very much, Michigan Legislature, Michigan Governor, Michi- uh, a Detroit Mayor. Thank you very much. Mm. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, change tax tax <laughs> right now, and uh, let's you, talk. You, you want me to? You want me to calm down? In other words, right? <laughs> I want you to uh, tell me about your books and. Um, most particularly, uh, I, I know you're working on one um, about uh, some president uh, uh, withdrawing troops from northern Syria. I, I can't wait to hear the uh, general outline. Well, uh, um there's a fictional character in my books, um, starting with book two. Uh, the President of the United States. Um, and the, the second book, which is called The Trail of Justice, uh, was a, a fictional account of the 2016 presidential election. It was not an account of the presidency. It was written before the presidency of Donald Trump. It was not written about Donald Trump. It was written about what I was afraid Donald Trump's rhetoric was going to result in. So Donald Trump had an opportunity to prove me wrong. Um, He had an opportunity to be a completely different president than the kind of president he was threatening to be. And he chose to be the kind of president that he threatened to be instead. Um, So a lot of my second book, Betrayal of Justice, uh, deals with prejudice and bigotry toward the Muslim population. Uh, A young Muslim woman is wrongfully charged with the murder of the white supremacist who uh, blew up her mosque in Dearborn, Michigan, which happens to be the uh, city in the country that has the largest concentration of, of Muslims in America. Um, and the book tells the story of um, uh, the uh, president's rise to power, the uh, white supremacist group celebrating his rise to power. They're honoring him by blowing up a mosque, uh, and then the wrongful accusation uh leveled by the local cops and by the national um, government who want to use her as a poster child for their Make America Pure Again campaign. Um, And that essentially sets up uh, the action that that occurs in that book. The third book, Betrayal in Blue, is a follow-up to the second, uh, and it involves a 
threat, a sarin gas threat in the city of Dearborn, and a second uh, white supremacist uh, attempting to essentially uh, avenge uh, the outcome of book two. Um, in book four, uh, which is coming out uh, late November, I believe, uh, Betrayal in Black. All of my books are betrayal-themed uh, books. Betrayal of Faith is the first one. Uh, uh, we've discussed that in the past about uh, the clergy abuse crisis in the church. Betrayal of Justice is the one I just talked about. Betrayal in Blue is about a small... Um, fishing town in Michigan essentially betraying a brother cop by accusing him of murdering a white supremacist uh, and a, uh, a trial uh, in a small town related to that incident. But the fourth one is a, is a the shooting of a young black man by a white police officer and um, the uh, the use of a gun in that situation and the uh, national uh, implications of such a crime involve uh, the president again, um, uh, and he uh, it continues to be a bad actor. Uh, the fifth book is a book about a school shooting, and again, the gun industry is a prominent player in that book, and the lobbying that we're speaking about with regard to insurance in the no-fault scheme, um, pollution in the coal and gas industry, uh, and uh, the NRA and, and the gun industry in, in, in terms of uh, getting anything, any meaningful legislation on guns. So that is a prominent part of Book 5. Um, Book six is a little different. It's called Supreme Betrayal, and it's about a Supreme Court justice who is accused of um, raping a young woman um, when he was a law student. Uh, oh, and again, the president... Say it's not obviously, so, Mark. <laughs> obviously, obviously, the president, obviously, the president plays a, a huge part in all of those novels except the first, and um, it 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 is not, uh, you know, I, I, I uh, around the country, I, I, there's been some uh, accusations leveled at me that I'm that I'm unfairly attacking our current president, and while he was while his rhetoric. Uh, on the campaign trail was the model for um, some of the stuff that my fictional president did. Uh, my fictional president is not Donald Trump. Right. It's just, he just isn't. So that criticism, um, I mean, read it, read it and see for yourself, but, but that criticism is an unfair Criticism. Now, is some of did I, did I predict some of the things that Donald Trump actually eventually did? Yes. 
Um, <laughs> but as bad as he is, he's he's not as bad as uh, my fictional president. <laughs> okay, um, th- there's a couple of couple more items um, that I- I'd love to discuss. How about the uh, wrong apartment murder trial in Texas? Um, An off-duty 26-year-old police officer by the name of Amber Geiger went back to her uh, apartment building, um, uh, apparently got confused, Used as to uh, what floor she lived on, um, opened the door, discovered a man inside, and uh, killed him. Um, went to trial. She was found guilty and given a ten-year sentence. And this has uh, sparked a, a, a furore, if you will. Um, some people say, that's outrageous. You know, she didn't mean it. You know, she shouldn't do any uh, time at all. And another sector says, ah, White cop kills black man, unarmed, of course. I mean, he was just watching TV. I mean, ten years isn't nearly enough. And um, she'll be up for parole in five years. Where's the justice? So, Mark, (laughs) weigh in. Where's the justice here? Well, the the um, the problem with Monday morning quarterbacking situations like this is that we didn't sit on the jury, we weren't in court every day, and we really don't know enough uh, about the the nuances and particularities of of the case to make comments like the verdict was unfair or the cop didn't get enough time. Um, here's what we can, here's what we can say for sure. The gentleman was in his own apartment, did nothing wrong and didn't deserve to die. Right. Agreed. Oh Yes. <laughs> okay, so I, I for one, white or black, have a serious problem. Have a serious problem with that. Um, now, she walked into the wrong apartment apparently, and her 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 story was that uh, the layout or the floor plan or whatever uh, was confusing and that um, apparently it's happened many times before where people uh, 
try to enter the wrong apartment. Uh, at least that's what the defense are. Now, the prosecution said, uh, and again, I, uh, these are just from accounts I've read, but the prosecution said, no, she was distracted because she was texting at the time with her boyfriend who happened to be a married man. And she had a sexual relationship with this married man and uh, was a bad person. Uh, and then she tried to delete the the uh, text, and she looked guilty for that reason and so on and so forth. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. She denied that. Uh, she claims that she deleted the text because um, she uh, was embarrassed by them. Um she claims that she yelled, show me your hands, and witnesses, including the one who recently got killed, said they oh, never yeah. heard of anything like that. Who said right. that they never heard anything like that. Um, she was scared he was going to kill her, she said. Uh, now, um, interesting, because uh, one of the things I, I thought was good lawyering was the assistant district attorney? I've got a quote for you because I think it's a, it's a, it's great lawyering. He said he's not going to throw the ice cream at her and kill her. He's not going to throw the spoon at her and kill her. He's sitting here the same as y'all and I are right now. Um, he made no threatening gesture toward her that she could testify to. Um, she thought he was in her apartment. This is her testimony now. She thought it was her apartment. She found the door ajar. She heard a shuffling inside. She claims she saw a silhouette coming toward her and yelled, show me your hands, and before opening fire. And I don't think, based on the testimony of the other witnesses, that that's true. I certainly don't think he made any move toward her. She's the only one who said that. Um, the other thing she did that I have trouble with, according to reports, is she then ran around um, more worried about the her phone and um, and by the way, there was a video shown of her. 911 call where she's talking to a dispatcher uh, uh, claiming that the apartment was hers and that she thought it was hers and uh, she's on a body cam uh, dealing with officers and explaining herself to these officers while this guy is laying there dying. And um, I don't know whether she knows CPR or not. Uh, I don't know what she could have done to help him, but she did absolutely nothing to help this guy. Right. So I have some problems with that. And then, of course, there's this cover-up of the of the text, uh, which she claimed were embarrassing and uh, um, uh, it just 
it just uh, the whole thing doesn't sit well with me, uh, especially when you consider that she's not a uh, a random person with a gun. She's a professional with a gun. If anybody should know how to handle a gun and when to use one, it's a cop. And uh, her shoot first, ask questions later um, was a problem for me. Uh, you should know and the public should know that there's a law in Texas called the um, uh, mistake murder mistake law or something like that. I, I, I don't have the specific name for it, but um, if you shoot somebody by mistake, the law can and I emphasize can, excuse you for it. it. It recognizes that mistakes can be made, and they argued that. The jury rejected it. So uh, I have faith in the jury system, typically. They, they usually get it right. And I would suggest that killing an innocent unarmed man in his own house um, is a crime that requires some jail time. Now, five to 99 years was uh, the range of possible years that she could get. And I also want you to understand, by the way, that statute is called the mistake of fact statute. And it's a defense based on a person forming a reasonable belief reasonable belief based on a mistake that negates the kind of culpability required for the commission of the offense. So you can essentially get excused for uh, a crime as serious as murder. Um, They could have found her guilty of manslaughter, but they convicted her on a murder charge. So that's an important thing to note uh, as far as the jury's thinking. Um, I don't know. I, 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 my, my personal belief is that the sentence was fair. Uh, the day after the sentence came down, I have breakfast at a diner here in, uh, in, in the area I live. And I, uh, the, as most diners, uh, the, the place has a bunch of regulars. And one of the, one of my friends there, uh, a regular who, who, uh, sits with me and my wife and my kids when we go there uh, is a black guy. Uh, and he's a good guy, and we're friends, and and uh, we typically see eye to eye on politics and, and uh, social justice issues. And he sees it completely different as a black guy. A white cop shoots a black guy, and the black guy, surprisingly, thinks they should have thrown the book at her. Um, and I don't. I, and I said surprisingly, facetiously. I wasn't surprised that he felt the way he did. Uh, but looking at it, at it objectively, obviously the jury accepted her explanation that she made a mistake. Obviously they thought it was something less 
than a cold-blooded, deliberate murder, perhaps a mistake, but obviously they also couldn't let it go. Um, he's dead. She gets 10 years. Uh, who got the worst of that deal? So, uh, again, I, all in all, given the facts and the situation, I think the jury got it right, both on the conviction and on the sentence. Perhaps it could have been a little longer, but I think uh, they certainly they certainly gave her serious time and understood that uh, the crime called for serious time. Okay, there's other uh, there's a couple of other aspects to this case. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, dead man's brother asking the judge if it would be okay to uh, give her a hug. Um, I, I have no issue with that whatsoever. And the judge thought about it and said, yeah, okay. So I, I think he's 18, maybe 17 or 18 years old, gave her a hug. And I, I thought, oh, that, that that was a nice gesture. You know... Um, oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, 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 it's not... And I use this uh, term loosely. It's not all black and white. You know, there are uh, some shades, shades of grey... Um, I, I, I don't, I, you know, you know the 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 result in the case was a shade of gray. Um, yes. This this young man hugging her. Um, I don't know what what percentile is this young man in um, where he can. Uh, essentially forgive someone like that um, or have compassion for someone like that uh, I you know I, I have to say that if I'm her and I'm feeling guilty for what I did I'm feeling even more guilty for what I did after that oh my god if if the guy I killed was anything like this boy this 18-year-old, um, I killed. I, I killed a really wonderful human being. Uh, so, I, I think, I think what he did was incredible. I don't know how anybody could do it. I just, I certainly couldn't. I'm not that good a person. So I, my hat, my hat's off to him. Um, but I, he's got to be in a, in in the in the uh, one-eighth of one percent percentile of people uh, in that situation. Um, Then then there was Uh, um, another little uh, event. Um, The judge gave her a hug and gave her a Bible and um, 
this act, um, well, actually, uh, both the kid and the judge, um, a, a, a certain uh, uh, makeup of uh, the population, uh, no, they wouldn't be uh, white evangelicals, um, just uh, came unglued over that. Uh, any well, thoughts? I don't. I, I don't. First of all, I don't think the judge gives anybody a hug without that young man giving her a hug first. Uh, that set the tone for that kind of behavior. She then came down off the bench and gave her a Bible. I thought giving her the Bible was appropriate. That, you know, that's fine. Uh, I thought, the, you know, I've never had a judge um, do anything like that. I wouldn't expect a judge to do anything like that. I don't think it's appropriate for a judge to do anything like that. Um, if the kid wanted a hugger and asked permission to do so, that's his business. I think the judge uh, needs to be completely impartial. Uh, whether the giving of the Bible uh, was a gesture that went too far, I'd say I, I, my, my own opinion is maybe not, but I thought the hug was inappropriate. That, that's just me. There are a lot of people who would disagree with me, but, uh, again, she's the judge. She's not some... Uh, um, you know, the... Defense attorneys hug their clients all the time. Prosecutors and defense attorneys, when they finish a hard-fought case, they shake hands and say, nice going. But a judge stays out of the fray, and that's what she should have done. Yeah, I, I think that's probably uh, what, what I think as well. Um, Mark, we're uh, almost completely out of time. Why don't you... Uh, Give us your uh, parting thoughts for uh, this evening. And also, um, you, you talked a lot about your you talked a lot about your books, but uh, yeah, didn't tell us where you can buy them. Well, thank you, Simon. <laughs> I'm not I'm not one to shamelessly plug myself, so. So I appreciate you you doing that for me. Uh, the books the books are the Zachary Blake betrayal. Well, no, they're they're all betrayal books. They're the Zachary Blake legal thrillers. Uh, Zachary Blake is my hero lawyer uh, in all six of my novels. Three of them are available right now. The fourth will be available shortly. The fifth and sixth will shortly follow after that. You can get them on Amazon. Google Mark M. Bellow, B-E-L-L-O, or Zachary Blake Legal Thriller, and they should come up on Amazon. You can also go to markmbellow.com, my website, and there's a link to purchase in there. If you go to my website, please leave your email, get on my mailing list, and you'll get all kinds of, uh, of discount offers uh, here and there. 
Um, a lot of good things going on. Um, there's a lot of good material about some of the stuff we talk about because I write a lot about these social justice and civil justice and criminal justice issues in my blogs and in my articles uh, across the country. So uh, most of those are available either on our Facebook page at Mark Ambello, the commercial version or the personal version. You can there, you can find links to the books in, on Facebook. Um, you can find the books on Goodreads. Um, lots of ways to, to find and buy the books. Uh, the books are going to be relaunched. So there's going to be all kinds of uh, exciting uh, prizes and discounts coming up in the next few weeks as we do these, this this uh, relaunch. So thanks for mentioning that. Uh, and again, it's Mark M. Bellow, B-E-L-L-O dot com. Or on Amazon. Mark, this has been a splendid uh program i i hope you've had as much fun as i have um i always have time to right and time to uh wrap it up this is simon barrett wishing everyone a happy healthy and safe week we'll be back again with another edition of journey into justice next week same bat channel, same bat time. Oh, that that ages me, doesn't it, Mark? <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>